Y'all can grab a seat if you're, you're wondering. That voice is different. That face is different. It's not Matt. It's not Blake. Uh, my name is Todd Berkey, and I work with our young adult ministry, um, and I'm married to an amazing family here. I don't know if I turned... Oh, there it is. Boom. Look at that. It's good. So I'm married to my amazing wife, Erin, and we have two boys. Our oldest is Paxson, and our youngest is Preston. They are 11 and 13, uh, soon to have a birthday to go on to 12. Woo! It's exciting stuff. He's stoked by it. Um, and it's just... I love my family. I mean, I, I sit there, and I, I, I'm so amazed at the precious gift that God has given me and these two boys and this incredible woman. And Aaron and I, we have the opportunity and the privilege to actually serve together in the young adult ministry. I think a lot of times uh, it's husbands and wives, they kind of have to go different places doing different things. But man, we're like in sync in what we get to do and how we spend our time. And we're so blessed to do that. Uh, the young adult ministry that we're involved in, Junction is its name. And it's for single grad students and young professionals in the area. And so if you're sitting there and you know any single grad students or young professionals in the area, and they're like, there's no place for me anywhere, you can say, yes, there is. Thursday nights, we have Junction. And uh, we're both passionate about it because we both spent some time in that demographic. Uh, For me, I I grew up in the church, and then after I graduated college, I continued to go to church, and it was very, very interesting. Uh, I would walk in as a single young adult in the church and be like, hey, we're so excited that you're here. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to be here too. And they're like, are you in college? No. Are you married? Mm Mm-mm. Oh. Hmm. Well... We might have something down here for you. And so when I moved to San Antonio, I had that experience of church after church after church after church. And I finally found a church home, and they had something for young adults. And it was a Bible study I was involved in. And I always just kind of felt like I was on the outside of that group. I just always felt like they had, they had enough. They had their group, and they were fine. And they didn't need any more. If somebody left, there might be a spot opening that you could audition for. But that was really kind of the best that, that I felt that I found when I was in San Antonio. But there was also another group of people um, that gathered together. It was called San Antonio Metro, and it was people from a bunch of different churches gathered together. And there were several hundred young adults that would gather. And I was like, oh, this is, this is glorious. So I was plugged in to a church, to a church Bible study, to a, uh, a citywide gathering of young adults. And, and yet I was lonely. I, was, I felt like I was trying to dive in with the community at the church and just wasn't, nothing was doing. I would show up to the larger gathering and, and I remember it so vividly. I would walk in thinking, tonight's the night that I'm going to make a friend. And they would have the stand and greet, like stand and greet the person next to you. I'm like, yes! And so I would reach to greet this person and they'd turn the other way. I'm like, oh, that's okay. And I'd reach to grab this person, they'd turn the other way. I'd turn behind me and they'd turn away. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I remember I would come home just in tears thinking, God, there's got to be something more. And as I began to think about that, that was one of the most lonely times of my life. And loneliness is a reality for most Americans. A 2018 survey of not just single young adults, but adults, so married and single, they found this, that nearly 50% of the population, they basically feel alone. And that's doubled since 1980. Social media, which is something that's supposed to, relatively new, but it's supposed to help us stay connected. You know, we, we stay connected so you know about what's going on in everybody's lives, and that way you just feel it really known. But we all know everybody just filters everything. But those who spend 30 minutes or less per day on social media felt significantly less lonely than those who spend more time on social media. So they begin to see the more time you spend on social media, the more lonely you feel. 
And it was interesting, not just the quantity of time, but then the, how quickly or how, how often you did during the week. Those who spent nine times or less on social media, they felt significantly less isolated than those who had a higher social media intake. And so we're such a connected world, and yet we're still so isolated, and we're still so lonely. And we're lonely in marriages. We're lonely in families. We have kids who are lonely. And this is a huge epidemic. Our... our uh, former Surgeon General, he said this, when you look at the data, what's really interesting is loneliness has been found to be associated with the reduction of lifespan. The reduction in lifespan from loneliness is similar to, similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it's greater than the impact of the lifespan of obesity. Look even deeper and you'll find loneliness is associated with a greater risk of heart disease, depression, anxiety, and dementia. This is a big deal. Loneliness, and it's all over the place. And it's, it's interesting to me, we're, we're going to be in the book of Acts uh, this morning. That's the point. It's commute is essential for living an impactful life. But we're going to be in the book of Acts. Loneliness, it just steals our ability to live an impactful or significant life. And as we're turning into, into Acts, uh, I have all of our verses on the screens. At Junction on Thursday night, it's, it's really, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, we started as a home group about three and a half years ago with 20 people in our room, and in our living room, and then it's continued to grow. And then we started calling the thing Junction, and we, we moved. And now there's about 350 people who are active uh, within the ministry on a Thursday night. There's usually about 120, 130, 140-ish that show up, and then some just rotate around. But many of those people who show up, they don't go to Grace. Some go to different churches, others go to no church at all. They felt burned by the church, and so they're just like, is there something for me? And we're like, yes, there is, and so come. So because of that, I make sure we have our verses on the screen because many people have no idea what's going on. And so if that's you and you're like, Acts, I don't know where that is. Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after the Gospels. And we're early in Acts, Acts chapter 2. So really what's happened, Jesus is resurrected, and he's been hanging out with his disciples for a while, and then he gives them a a really big charge, like, here's what I have for you the rest of your life. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, and I want you to be my witnesses. This is your job, be my witnesses, and all you do everywhere you go, you'd be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, all of Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That is your objective. That's the agenda I have set for you in your lives. And then the next thing they did, they said, that's great. And then he said, go wait. And so they did. They went and they waited. The first great thing of the church was they waited. Much like Creekside is having to wait extra long for a building. You know, you're waiting for an ark now, I think, more than you are maybe the actual structure. But uh, they had to go. And the, the first major thing the church did is they went and they waited. And as they waited, this weird thing happened. Pentecost happened. And God's spirit comes down and descends in a new and fresh and different way. And next thing you know, these disciples, they're out and, and they're, they're talking, but they're talking in a language that is not their native tongue. But others are hearing the gospel message in their native tongue. And Peter gets up and he gives an incredible message that could basically be summed up at the very first thing of, um, you have no idea what's going on here, people. You think people are drunk. They're not. God's spirit is moving. You missed who Jesus was. There's a day of accountability coming. So repent, change your thinking about who Jesus is, come to him, believe, and join in true life. And in an instant, the church went from 120 people. At the end of that message, they went from 120 to 3,000. Truly incredible. 
And now Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts, he's letting us know this is a summary statement. This is what that early church community looked like. So that's what we're diving into the scripture. And it says this, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. It's an incredible just summary statement of what did that biblical community look like. And so this morning, I want us to run through three things. And don't worry. Number one, we're going to just race through. And number three, we're going to race through. I'd love to stop on number one and number three for a long time. But I want us to spend the bulk of our time on number two. We want to conquer this thing, this, this thing that we are designed for community. And because of that, what should biblical community look like? And then we want to look at what's the impact of biblical community. When it's lived out, what happens? And we see a lot of this unfolding in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So if you're there, you're going to be mad with me because we're now going to go to Genesis. So um, design for community. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God is creating all sorts of things. But then God said, let us, plural, make mankind in our image according to our likeness. I think this is so vital for us to understand. We as human beings, we have been created with just a high position. We're not just ordinary, we're extraordinary because God said, I'm making you in my image, in our image. Well, God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, always has been. He's never been lonely. He's always had opportunity to serve others. He's always had the opportunity to be uh, in community. And because he is a, a a communal God, if you will, singular, three in one, and he created us to be in his image, we too have a need for community. It's not just me who says this. I mean, here's the, the logic. God is a triune God. He's always in community. Humans are created in his image. Humans, therefore, are created for community. Humans not in community is not good. That's just my high language there. It's not good. It's bad. In Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, this, it is not good for the man to be alone. And we hear this one at weddings all the time, but You know, I don't think it's just about weddings. He's talking a lot about community because there's plenty of single people who have been good. You're like, well, nobody's good except for Jesus. Well, you know what? He's on that list. It's very interesting. Paul, not married. Luke, as far as I know, not married. These are single people that God used in incredible ways. Jesus, who I think we would all agree is good, not married. But all of them were in community. Community is vastly important. We are created for it. But here's the deal. Not any old community will do. Just like me, my schedule was full. I was very active. I was Sunday church, Sunday, uh, Sunday school. I had a Thursday night Bible study. I had a Tuesday night metro thing going on when I was a young adult. I was active and I was busy, but that does not equal community. I think sometimes we forget that. We think if we just go to enough events, 
then we're in community. But that's just not the case. There's a quality, a type of community that we are designed for. And Acts 2.42 is going to help us. We're going to dive through six things. So if you're prone to kind of check out, just there it is. And then you can check out and come back at point three. Um, it, it happens sometimes. Anyway, biblical community, the six stops are intentionality, teaching, selfless service, fellowship, prayer, and unity. Let's look at these things. Intentionality. They were continually devoting themselves, it says in Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching. Later on, it says, day by day, they continued with one mind in that same text. Now, that word is the same in both those, uh, both those translated as continually devoting and continuing. It means to hold fast, to persevere, and to be devoted to. There's an intentionality that has to happen for community. Let me pause two things. I forgot to mention this, and it's important. As we're going through these six things, our natural tendency is to think about us right here. And that's good. I want us to think about the church, Creekside. How, how, how's, how's the community going on here? I think it's great. I hear a lot of great things. But the other thing is, how are our families I'm a husband and a father of two, and if I'm not modeling this in my home, man, how are my kids going to know what true community is? How are they supposed to know what to look for? How are they supposed to know where to be engaged in? If they're lonely, yes, I want them to have other peers their own age, but I also want to make sure that they know they have a mom and dad that are passionately in love with them and are for them. And so when we're going through these things, and it's hard. Let me just tell you, it's hard when we start bringing it into the family levels, just so you know, I'm human and I'm not perfect. I was talking to my older son, Paxson, yesterday, and he's like, are you nervous about tomorrow? And I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. I said, it just, it's challenging because now when you're talking about families, we have to start wondering, do we model these things in our family? You know, like how, how well do we do is prayer with, with the family? Like, do we only pray before meals or do we actually, when you're struggling with something, do we stop right then and there and pray for you? And 13-year-olds, you got to love them. He goes, yeah, I think we need to improve on that one. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I think you might be right. And so as we're walking through this, don't just begin to think about, yeah, those people need to do this. I can think of 12 other folks who need to do that. Just really allow God to give some space. Give him some space in your, in your hearts and your mind, like in our families and in our church community. Is this what we look like? And if not, let's just move forward. Kind of went to my application point, but I think it's important. Don't just be thinking Sunday morning. It, the reason now, coming back to this intentionality, is it does require intentionality. All of these things are counterintuitive to what the world would say. See, the world says be a consumer of community. Yes, selfless service. Have others selflessly serve you. Yes, have others pray for you. That's how the world operates. And we all, if we're honest, we have a bent towards that. And so to sit there and say, no, I'm not going to be just a consumer of community. I'm actually going to be a giver of community. That makes all the difference in the world. And in our ministry, again, we're dealing with folks in their mid-20s and 30s, single. And a lot of times there's some loneliness that goes on. And they come and they talk about, I just need community. I need community. And we're like, you're right. You do. You're designed for it. Well, it's just not, I've been here for three weeks. I'm just not really digging it. I'm not really finding it. Oh, man, I'm really sorry about that. Hey, who have you reached out to? What are you talking about? Well, 
Who have you initiated with? Who, who have you sent a text to? Who have you responded yes to? Because I know, I know you have been reached out to with a phone call and a text message inviting you to something. I know that because we do that. So I know it. Did you respond affirmatively or did you just ghost them? Well, I didn't really want to offend them. I just didn't say anything. So you're just a consumer of community. So you think you can show up and not really be involved. Just take, 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 and that's going to work. Here's the deal. It doesn't. That is what the flesh does. That is what our sin nature does. It's all about us. Jesus came and he came to give, give, give. And everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And that new creation is wired differently. And for us to be living as an image bearer of God, we need to be givers of community. And I tell you, the folks in our ministry who have kind of like, oh my goodness, yeah, what am I waiting for? How come I'm not initiating? How come I'm not reaching out? How come I'm not moving forward? Yes, I am part of the body of Christ. Those are the ones who are thriving. And those who say, no, it's all about me, are the ones who are just miserable. And it comes down to that, consumer or giver. It takes intentionality because we have a bent towards being a consumer. I think about it this way. In college, I played tennis. It helped pay for school. And uh, I got hurt my last year, hitting a serve. And I felt something pop in the shoulder. I was like, that's not good. And so I went to the trainer. And as they were treating me, one of the things he said is, okay, Todd, when you carry your backpack, which shoulder do you carry it on? I was like, well, I carry it my right. I'm right-handed. He's like, yeah, don't do that anymore. You need to carry it on your left because your shoulder needs rest. And I was like, that's just weird. It doesn't feel right. He's like, I know, but you need to do that for healing. And so I said, oh, okay. And so I grabbed my backpack and I immediately just naturally went to the right shoulder. He's like, uh-uh-uh. Oh, thank you. Think, yep, other shoulder. And it was very awkward and weird to carry that backpack on the other shoulder. I think that's how it is with biblical community. To give that away, it's not going to feel normal at first. You're not going to feel like you want to give and move towards the hurting. You want people to move towards you, and it seems just wrong. And yet how God has wired things as we're image bearers of God who moved towards us, the broken We are called to move towards the broken. And when we do, it's crazy. We find life and joy. So intentionality is huge. And now everybody's going, okay, Todd, you spent a long time on intentionality. You got six other points. And then the third one, like we're going to be here forever. We're going to move. We're going to keep moving here kind of quickly. The second thing is there was teaching involved. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think here at Grace Bible Church, we, we do a great job. I, I look at our teaching pastors, and I'm just amazed. I go and I sit in on the college services, and I look at the folks who teach there, I'm amazed. I go and I hang out with some of the youth leaders, and I hear what they're teaching, and I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, we have great teaching all over the place, and we're really, really blessed in the middle of that. And so we're going to move quickly through this. But why do we need teaching? Why did they need teaching? Well, two things. One is there, there were massive misunderstanding in their day about who God is. I mean, just think Pentecost. Peter stands up and everybody's saying, all these guys who are speaking in other people's native tongue, they, they said, they're drunk. And Peter's message can pretty much, if you understand what he's saying here, you understand the entirety of his message. He pretty much says, y'all are missing it. You've missed it. They're not drunk. This is God's work. The spirit that's working here is the same spirit that's talked about in Joel. And just as you've missed that, you also missed who Jesus was. And you killed the prince of life. Oh. And there's a day of accountability coming. Oh. What do we do? Repent. Change your mind of who Jesus is. Because he didn't stay dead. He's raised again. Believe in him. Come. Be born anew. And 3,000 came. There was misunderstandings about God then. 
there are today as well. So it's good for us to have teaching. The second thing is Christ changes everything. He's just, I, I hope you know this. I hope that you know that the moment that, that we stepped into a relationship with Jesus, he comes in and he just begins to rearrange things in us. And it's confusing. And so we need people to walk alongside of us and help us understand, no, 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 you're carrying your backpack on your right shoulder right now. The reason, that's why things aren't working. Drop that, pick it up, and put it on your left shoulder. So you used to be very unforgiving, but because Jesus has forgiven you much, you need to forgive others much. But you don't understand what they've done to, to me. I, I know, I can't fully understand, but I do know that God does, and God is calling you to lay that down. I don't want to. It feels unnatural. I understand but let me show you time and time and time again. Christ changes everything. We need people to help us along that journey. It's interesting who was doing the teaching, whether they were apostles. When you think about them, Jesus had chosen them. They had walked with Jesus for a very long time. You notice, too, that he had a massive impact on their lives. They left their fishing business and said, okay, here we go. Let's do this. And then signs and wonders surrounded them. Now you're sitting there like, okay, so Todd, I can only be taught by somebody who's performing signs and wonders. I don't know. Here's the thing I want you to think about. To me, I think one of the greatest signs and wonders around is when you've met with a person and Jesus is stirring in their heart and they respond to the gospel message and they breathe new life for the very first time. I think that's miraculous. That is a massive miracle. And I want to be around an organization. I want to be around community where that's happening, where we're seeing people engage in gospel conversations. We're moving towards the broken, and we're willing to say there's hope. And when people say there is, and they respond, and, and a, new per, a new believer happens, oh my goodness, that is a miracle. Also, I think it is incredible. I want to be a part of a ministry where I see people, and we see this in the young adult ministry all over the place. A lot of people are struggling with purity. A lot of people are struggling with pornography. And you know, when you see people begin to allow Jesus to fight their battles as opposed to them trying just to be strong enough to overcome it, when they, when they just let him have their way and there becomes victory, that's a miracle. And that is worth celebrating all over the place. And so we're surrounded as a church with a ton of miraculous signs and wonders happening. And those are the people that I want to surround myself with. Those are the people I want to learn from. And I hope you do too. So early community. Oh, well, this doesn't need to be in a formal setting. Shocker, I'm going to say no. We're going to move quickly through these things. Pentecost was not a planned event. They didn't say, okay, well, uh, <clears throat> on March the 4th, we're going to go ahead and have the Pentecost celebrate. They didn't do that. You know, they, they were in a room and the Spirit fell on them. It was just, there it was. It happened. When you go on from chapter 3, you see they're going to heal, Peter's going to, God's going to heal through Peter, a lame man. Peter and John, they were heading to the temple to pray. They didn't schedule a healing at that time. It wasn't a formal setting. You see it with Stephen, when he was put to death with his defense, he wasn't planning on that. He was just doing what was in front of him, and God presented opportunities. Peter and Cornelius, Peter was taking a nap, and God had to wake him up and say, go. So it doesn't just have to happen in a formal setting. And I would actually say that most of our learning probably doesn't happen in a setting like this. I think about my time at Bible school, a little school called His Hill. We had great teaching in class settings, but the places that I learned the most was sitting down in the cafeteria with this guy named Doug. And we're talking. We're having just a great time. And Doug is like, oh, yeah, Todd, this and this and this is going on. And he's just smiling, having a great time. And a girl comes up and says, hey, Doug, we want to play volleyball. Could you go unlock the athletic shed for us? And he's like, oh, sure, sister, I'll be right there. And she turns around, and his smile just drops. He goes, right now, brother, this is what I'm talking about, walking with Jesus. 
I have no desire to go open that shed. I've been working all week. And she comes up and just like, oh, can you just open it whenever I want? Like, what am I, at your beck and call? And so all this stuff's going inside. I'm like, oh, Doug, you're evil. He's like, no, no, there's this struggle going on inside of me. It's the flesh and the spirit, they're warring. And so, brother, man, I appreciate any prayers. I'm, I'm going to go over there, but this is just a struggle. And he got back up and he went and he opened the things up. And I just sat there and said, wow. The very people that I think are awesome and amazing, they're real and they have struggles as well. And that it's okay when those moments happen and things are asked of you and you're like, I kind of know the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it. I'm, that battle is real in him. So it's okay when that battle happens in me. Ha, huh, massive learning. Again, not in a class setting. Selfless service, ouch. I'm just going to say that right away. This is just... Anything with selfless in it, right? I mean, that just hurts if we're, if we're honest because naturally we're pretty selfish. Selfless service. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And everybody on Thursday night, several uh, weeks ago when I was teaching this, they said, oh, Todd, you must have been going too fast. The word is fellowship. You put selfless service. I said, oh, you got me. Well, the word there is koinonia. And again, koinonia means fellowship. But in this context, it's not just fellowship. It has these overtones of mutual material support and generosity. So it's not just hanging out. Here it's actually being utilized. It's going to cost you something. There's selflessness that's going on. And you see it in 245. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Huh? I mean, can you imagine? I just acquired this property, but there's a need over here. I'm selling all of it and bringing the proceeds and saying here. Maybe you can. I know my my natural bent, my right arm backpack carrying is... No. Once I take care of everything here for me, once I'm good and maybe with some cushion, then let's begin to look. That's what my selfishness wants to do. And I think it's one of the most beautiful things. I served in England for a while as a youth director. And when I was there, my pay was really small. At that time, London was the most expensive place in the world to live. And like it was little. And so a family said, let us help you. Come stay with us. We have a guest room come. And they did that for two years for me. They just provided a place for me to stay. And then they were getting ready to be moved. And somebody, another family said, hey, we have a place. Come stay with us. And they got ready to move because it was an expat community. And another family said, hey, come stay with us. I saw the selfless service that these families would do for me when I was there. When I moved here to College Station to marry Aaron, my wife, there was a family here at Grace that just said, hey, I know you're coming, you're engaged, and like, why don't you just come stay? We've got a place, really super low rent. Just, just come, you need a place to come. That was a sacrifice on their part. And the cool thing is, that was modeled for me. Now that Aaron and I, God has blessed us with a house that has an extra room, We've had so many people come through that room. We've had my, my sons have had several other siblings that have just come and they needed a place and that becomes very easy and natural for me because that was done to me. Selfless service was lavished on me. It was modeled. It makes it very easy or easier for me to do the same. And I pray and I hope that my kids who are watching as they grow and they have possessions that they too will hold loosely looking to give them away. 
Well, let's keep moving here. Uh, do you have to sell everything? No, you're hanging out. I know in the book of Philemon, you were reading it this morning, but we read when, when Paul was writing them, he says, hey, no, this is to you and the church that meets in your home. So obviously not every believer sold everything they had. So it doesn't mean everybody go sell everything right now. And is it only material goods? No, you know this. You know it's your time. You know it's your emotional capacity. You know those are areas that, that require some giving. When the phone rings and you sit there and you go like, oh, man. This is just, um, I know this is an emotionally needy person, and nope, nope, nope. And I'm all for healthy boundaries. But there are times that we need to enter into that. Selfless service is more than just money. Well, fellowship, we finally got to fellowship. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread. Now, there are, I'm just to let you know, there are some people who do this. I don't know who they are, but there are people who do this. Well, is breaking bread here, are they talking about communion, or are they actually talking about sharing a meal? And then lines are divided, and they're in this room, well, it's communion. No, it's sharing a meal. No, it's communion. And so they're fighting about this. And then somebody says, when you talk about communion, do you mean that they do that before they break bread together, like as a meal together? Yes. So we can at least agree that it's having a meal together. Oh, yes, we can. Fully, when they're talking here, it is about having meals together, inviting people into their homes. Was it continual? Uh, community meals, there it is, but day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. People were saying, come, just come, come, come. And that's hard. My kids want to be involved in about 27 different activities. It's hard to carve out space. So really, it's a challenge. It's a sacrifice on them as we say no to some of their activities. I know that. But we say no to those activities so that we have space in our life to invite others in to say, come, have a meal. Come, come. Selfless service looks a whole bunch of different ways. Fellowship looks a whole bunch of different ways as well. Prayer, this is where my son got me on. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Man, I, I don't know about you, but for the longest time I used to do this, I would sit and I would talk with somebody and they would they just pour their heart out. I'm just hurting this. I'm like, oh, brother, that is, I'm so sorry. I will be praying for you. You ever say that? I'll be, I'll be praying for you. And then I would turn, and I would walk, and I'd have every intention to pray, and then I'd bump into something else, and I would forget all about it. And I'd see him a week later, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I forgot to be even talking to God about what's going on. And if I'm honest, I even forgot what his issue was because I wasn't really thinking about it. I didn't give him any space or capacity. And God just began to convict me in that several years ago. And so now it's like, no, that, that's what's going on. We're praying right now. And people will do this. We're, we're in the middle of Starbucks. I don't care. You're my brother. I want to move towards you in this. We need to come before God because he's the one who can answer your needs. And when we're at, at, at Junction on Thursday night, it's not uncommon to go like, oh my goodness, you're hurting you know what, can I, can I pray for you right now? Yes, that'd be great. You know what, I also know that you know Mason, and I know that you know Enoch. Can I have them come pray as well? Yeah, absolutely. Come on over. And so then we'll have a few people gathered around praying for the individuals who are hurting. Prayer was a mark of biblical community. It still is. And it comes down, is that just personal or is it communal? And I would just say the answer is yes. I mean, there were set prayers in Judaism. Uh, Jesus gave us set prayer, Right? But it's not just gathering together and we all repeat the same prayer over and over again. It's a mixture of both community and individual. Now, there was unity as well. Day by day, continuing with one mind. 
In the Greek there, with one mind, purpose, one and the same. And this, this should blow your mind. It blows my mind that this is a mark of biblical community. Because think about this. Over 3,000 different histories, different emotional makeups, preferences, personalities, and yet they were all unified. What? I mean, it's, it's hard enough to gather a group of five and determine where you're going to go eat. Let alone 3,000 and have unity? Like, that's just, this is a miracle. And it just makes me wonder how. How in the world could there be that much difference in people and their makeups and the baggage that they bring, and yet there is unity, one-mindedness? How in the world could that be? Well, I think it goes along with everything else. All of these things, they're not natural. And being intentional, moving towards other people, teaching, whether you're the one who is teaching or you're the one who needs to be taught and you need to learn, that that requires a a position of humility. That's rough. I don't like that one either personally, but that's just me. Uh, Selfless service, fellowship, prayer, unity, all these things. How is it possible? I think it all stems back to Acts chapter 1-8. I think people, they were really on board with this. I think they said, this is the agenda that, that, that God gave us, that Jesus gave us. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to receive power. He's going to be the one who does these things through you. He's going to be the one who begins to disrupt your heart, to start saying no to things you used to say yes to. He's going to be the one who just starts moving things around. You're like, I used to be okay with that, and now I'm not. And then you were going to understand that our entire purpose, again, is to be his witnesses. And I think that group of 3,000 says, okay, his agenda, his witnesses, it goes up here, and everything else falls underneath here. And so when there's friction and tension here, we wonder, is it about this or is it about this? Well, it's about this. Okay, well, we can agree to maybe disagree in this area. Let's move forward with this. We want to be his witnesses everywhere we go. It's an incredibly beautiful thing, community when it's lived out, biblical community when it's lived out. Early church, just FYI, they weren't perfect at it. You'll read in in Acts 5, as you continue, you'll see some people who were, there was friction. You'll read then in Acts 6, you'll see that there's division, like, oh no, the Hellenistic Jews and the natural Jews, and there's just favoritism that's going on there. So you're going to see they weren't perfect, but for the most part, they are one mind. Now really quickly, and I told you, that was point two, we'd stay a long time there, three, we'll move quickly. The impact of biblical community is amazing, both on those inside and those on the outside. On those in the inside, gladness. I mean, when, when we're engaged, we're being intentional, we're moving forward, we're selflessly serving others, there's fellowship, we're inviting other people in, we're moving towards the broken. When these things are happening, when we're engaging in prayer, both individually and corporately, when, we're, when this is all unfolding, it doesn't exhaust us. It's actually causing our new heart to rejoice because that's what we're designed to do. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They didn't stop there, and they were praising God. I'm just curious, for those of us who are in the church, do those two words, gladness, and I guess three, praising God, is that how people would describe you individually and corporately? I, one of the things I love about earlier this week, really quick side story. Earlier this week, I was in, uh, I was in court, not for me, but jury duty, got selected. Yay! Um, but I was there, and people always, what's your name? What do you do? Oh, my name's Todd. I work at Grace Bible Church. And 
I talked to several people, and it was so beautiful to sit there and go like, oh, man, I've heard a lot of good things about grace. It's incredible. So I'm, as I'm here, I'm not saying we stink at any of this. God has done some incredible things in us and through us. It's really a beautiful thing. Everywhere I go, I see people like, oh, grace? Oh, yeah, great church, great people. They do awesome stuff. God's using that place in unique ways. I just want us to be challenged to excel even more because this is why. So it's great for the people inside, but those who are on the outside witnessing it, in 243, it says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and that everyone is not everyone in the church. It's like everyone who was witnessing these things, they're going, oh my goodness, can you believe this? Like, look, like they're, they're forgiving the people who have hurt them from long ago. Like, that's crazy. Oh, that one just sold property to give to those over there. And he didn't even like those over there. Like, that's amazing. What is happening here? They're moving. There's just this awesomeness that's happening. And those on the outside are going, we've never seen anything like this ever before. And they draw near. It's incredible. I shared this sad story with the first service. A friend of mine I've known for a very, very, very long time. We were having dinner. And this has been several years ago. And they said, you know what, Todd? And my friend's not a believer. Very active against the gospel message. You know, Todd, here's the deal. She was having a really hard time and said, I know that you have greater hope, you have greater joy, greater peace, and just really a better quality life than what I do. And I know it stems from your faith. And then she said, but I don't want it. Yeah. It's a celebration in one way because she had known several other believers who God had just gotten a hold of their lives and she would acknowledge there's all this greatness and I know it comes from y'all's faith and yet there was still so much selfishness of I don't, it's not worth it. Really sad and yet the good part is she's recognizing there's something different. The other thing, and it wasn't the case in my story, but at this time And the Lord was adding to the numbers day by day those who were being saved. See, there's clarity of the gospel because they see it lived out. They're seeing this lived out. God who sent his son, right? He gave his son for us, for the world, to pay the price that we could never pay. He died on the cross in a place that was mine, he took, and he offered me a place of his back with restoration with God so we could live as we were designed. And when we behave this way, we live this way, people are seeing the gospel without ever hearing the gospel. And when they see that through their eyes and as they're experiencing, all of a sudden the gospel message carries greater power because they see there's something different. They know the difference is because of your faith, because of what Jesus has done. They're a lot more open to ask that question, why are you so different? I am so glad you asked. It's about Jesus. It's not because I'm a nice guy. It's because of Jesus and his work in my life. Biblical community, the six pieces of the pie. Now, let's just get to the challenge, the application here at the end. I want, I want so what? This is all exciting and wonderful and amazing. Here's the deal. I don't want you or me to walk out of here with this. Oh, I'm just not very good at any of of the community stuff. I'm just not, oh, what was me? Because we have a tendency to do that. No, I want us to stop and just spend time praying. 
throughout this week, just spend some time praying. God, hey, here I am. The community that I have, is it being, am I missing some spots? And if there are, well, would you make me aware of that and would you give me the courage to move towards it? How would you want me to be a solution? My family, does my family look like this? If not, well, what do I need to do? What changes need to be made? And a lot of times when I've had those prayers, then he's like, well, I want you to say no to these things. I'm like, I don't want to say no to those things. I like those things. (laughs) But then we get to that whole selfless service thing. So that's the first thing. I want him to be directing that, not you. And then the other one is, I challenge you as he convicts, as he moves, just begin to look to give community away. Don't just sit there and say, I'm a, I'm a taker, 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 taker. Let's be even greater, excel still more at giving it away. I don't know. Maybe you sit there and say, there's somebody over there that I've seen the last three weeks, like they're familiar, but I don't even know their names. And maybe you move towards them and say, what are you doing for lunch? Let's just go grab lunch. It's just lunch. I've got two kids. I've got two kids too. Well, they only eat chicken fingers. Mine too. Let's go to Cane's, you know, or whatever it may be. But let us be men and women who don't just come in here and say, this was great, we were wonderful, we're fine, and Danny, let us take what God is doing here, work in us, through us, and take it out into the world. Excel still more, church. Again, it's not because we stink at these things. I just think that these are areas as a whole that we can continue to shine very bright, that God can shine very bright through us in a very dark world. Let's pray. Mighty God, thank you. Uh, you are an incredible God. You, you change everything. And Father, our community, how we engage in community is to look radically different than everything else that we see. It should leave others dumbfounded by what they're seeing unfold amongst believers and the believers to the rest of the world. It should confuse people. And Father, if I'm honest, there are times that that I struggle with that. There, there are times that I want that backpack back up on the right shoulder. Lord, would you work in me, nudge me in the areas that need to change, and Father, let me walk in your strength, in your power, in your glory. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I pray that as we go out, that they would encounter you in awesome ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for letting me come and hang out with you for the weekend. Weekend, the few hours, no, the few minutes. Anyway, thank you. Have a great week.